Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I caught up with Jason Durden, the Managing Director from BlackBerry. We spoke about how BlackBerry has pivoted into a cybersecurity player and what their journey was like to do so. We spoke about BlackBerry's capability towards AI and machine learning. I was curious to see how they have approached this and how they are different from other players that exist. Please note, this podcast was recorded at the end of last year. Since then, Jason has left the company, but BlackBerry still believed that this was necessary to release in terms of the content. Last time we did try to speak, the uh, the audio wasn't working. So now that because we can actually chat in person, I'm really looking forward to be able to talk about you and your journey, but also sort of about the role that you're doing today with BlackBerry. So before we get into BlackBerry and what you guys are doing, we always like to start our podcast off. We're talking about you and your journey. So please t- uh, tell our listeners about your journey. Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward to the discussion. Um, I think for me, a bit of an interesting entry into security, Um, not necessarily where I thought I was going to end up, uh, but I'm super happy that I I did. It's a really cool place to be. Um, I really started out in leisure and tourism industry. Um, You know, I spent a lot of time coming up through school and everything in gaming and was always into tech and design and kind of creative aspects. So I think that kind of helped with the intrigue of what security is all about. But um, you know, studied business through school and uh, that kind of led into the path of getting into kind of sales organisations and then, you know, sort of into security after that. But um, after spending time in that leisure tour- tourism industry, just had friends in, in, the, in the tech space, not necessarily in cyber, just in, in, other, in other companies, um, you know, took a job in a, in a local tech firm here in, in Sydney, which is... Uh, be 10 years ago now probably Mm -hmm. Um, and just sort of found my way leaning more towards cyber as an interest area you know spent some time in in collaboration and storage and cloud and networking um, all really interesting spaces I I feel but certainly cyber drew me in really really quickly and um, managed to to find my way into a pretty cool startup about four years ago now, which was called Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy times, like, you know, just such a innovative way of, uh, you know, approaching endpoint security and malware and, and a whole bunch of other stuff um, and really kind of took that business on in, in this part of the world and, and most recently now with, uh, with BlackBerry after acquisition, which has been uh, really like... An experience that you always want to go through is bringing two companies together um, uh, and especially a company like BlackBerry and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a second where I kind of referred to it uh, you know back when I was getting to know the, the new BlackBerry again is the world's most well-known company that nobody knows what's going on with the company That's if that true. makes sense yeah. um, and then here I am right so now you know running the running the ANZ region for for BlackBerry which is uh, which is good. I wanted to sort of just press on a little bit when you spoke about your interest in cyber. What was your initial interest as to why you sort of want to get into this space? Yeah, I think for me, like, I've always been interested in, like, crime world, I guess. Like, I love crime documentaries and, you know, war movies and I love history about, Mm -hmm. you know, modern warfare, ancient warfare, like that kind of adversary defender scenario has always been intriguing to me mm-hmm. um, and that's really what cyber is is you yeah you have something that somebody else wants and they're going to try and get it in one way form or another um, albeit just very secretive right so it's kind of gives you that um, adversary defender plus it's a bit uh, it's a bit naughty like it's a bit secretive mm-hmm. you know it's kind of it has that level of excitement mm-hmm. And I think for me, like loving the tech space for so long and being so heavily involved in, you know, technology and gaming, 
also the opportunity is massive because everything is online and it will continue to be coming online like you can connect your shoes and you know you watch and whatever else you want to and they all become vulnerable and I've always you know as a personal thing um like I'm I'm a very emotional caring person right so I like to help and be a helper and I felt like it was a great a great space for me to be in where I could put those skills of you know being around people and helping people and also liking tech and then liking that defender adversary it felt like a really good fit for me and my personality type to maybe make a difference somewhere or another mm-hmm. um, plus the opportunity of career growth like it's I don't think there's ever going to be an issue where uh, there'll be no jobs in cyber right it's always going to continue to grow so yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's really interesting you say that. And I always like to ask people because I'm really intrigued by their reasoning as to getting into this field. And my, was, sort of my interest in getting into this field was similar to yours as well. I was really um, interested in how hackers worked and, and how all, all this cybercrime uh, was happening. I wanted to understand uh, how, how that's sort of evolving in that space. Because as you said, a lot of companies are tech companies now. Mm. So it's, it's incumbent that people nowadays understand more about cybersecurity. Mm. But Jason, I'm just going to be really, really honest. Uh, the last time I really heard of BlackBerry significantly was when you guys were producing handsets. Mm. So can you talk <laughs> to me a little bit about how the brand has evolved from selling handsets and how you guys have moved more specifically into the cybersecurity market? Yeah, and as, as I said before, it's the world's best-known brand that no one realises what's true, happening, yes. right? So, uh, And BlackBerry's been on a big shift to help educate the market. And um, one of the really interesting things I find from, and I'll get into the kind of pivot in a second, but just from conversations with people, there's a massive level of curiosity straight off the bat. Like you're kind of curious as to, well, I know the brand, but what's going on, right? Like, so people are interested to listen to it, which is always a bit of a challenge when you're in the tech industry because you get a thousand vendors calling you every five seconds to talk about the next widget and tool. Um, There's a level of, hey, yeah, I remember working closely with that company at one point in time for handsets or, you know, Mm -hmm. communications. What are you doing now? So... I mean, I think it's no secret that, uh, you know, BlackBerry potentially lost the mobile phone game to Apple and Samsung back in the day. Um, But the reality is the core of the company and the core belief of security was always there. Mm -hmm. People bought Blackberries because they were secure, right? You You couldn't hack a Blackberry was basically the phrase, which still you know relatively true today right. touch wood mm-hmm. um but the reality is governments financial services healthcare organizations all around the world were using blackberry handsets to secure their communications um essentially what the company decided to do is their future was no longer in security hardware they saw future in security software so it was sort of that 20 2011, 2012 period. I wasn't with the company then, obviously, but having learned about it, um, 2011, 2012 period where the company said, well, how about we have BlackBerry on any device rather than just a BlackBerry device, which creates a much bigger market opportunity for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially pivoted all that security capability of secure communication, secure email, secure applications on a handset mm-hmm. to be on any device, whether it's Android, iOS, Windows, autonomous vehicles, the space station, like a whole bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. because software is transferable, right? You can really put it anywhere as long as you support the OS. Um, So that was sort of 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. And the pivot was still primarily focused on secure mobility for the most part, like an MDM, mobile application type management solution. Mm -hmm. Um, And since that point in time, the company's continued to make strategic acquisitions to really get to a point now where BlackBerry offers that unified endpoint platform. So you've still got the secure mobility from a, you know, deploy your apps or access Salesforce from your from your iPad or from your mobile phone or whatever it may be in a secure manner in a containerized solution. But the piece that was missing was really threat management. It's like, well, what happened if the device got taken over by an adversary with malware? That wasn't really something that BlackBerry was providing at that point in time, which is where Silence comes in, right? So, you know, Silence, very innovative machine learning AI company to basically do prediction, right? So in a traditional AV world, you would have a big list of bad stuff, a big list of good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, And when a threat comes into a device... 
basically you check the lists. Does it exist on either one? If it's on the good side, you let it go. If it's on the bad side, you don't let it go. The problem that exists there is if you don't know about it, you let it go, which is why ransomware happens every second day because Mm -hmm. as soon as it's a new variant in that model, you will never stop it. Mm-hmm. has to be seen. So there's always this concept of a sacrificial lamb. Somebody has to be infected for the next person to be protected. Um, in a silence world, you know, Stuart McClure and Ryan Perma back in the day decided that that wasn't good enough anymore because we're always in the hamster wheel of detect, respond, detect, respond, detect, respond. So no one will ever truly achieve, yeah, get ahead or achieve prevention. Um, and we saw, you know, WannaCry in 2016, 2017, not Petya. This year, there's just been every second day, there's somebody in the headlines. You know, Mm -hmm. we had the Victorian Health stuff a couple last year. Um, And it's all because of this model of see and respond, see and respond. Mm -hmm. So the whole premise of silence was to say, well, if we can learn from the past, Mm -hmm. like a cognitive human, learn from experiences and say, well, if we've seen a lot of these things before, surely when we see a new thing, Mm -hmm. we can make a pretty accurate decision that, hey, it's probably still a pig even though it's got lipstick on it kind of thing, (laughs) right? So it's like sitting in this room where, you know, you look at the TV up there. You haven't been in this room before, I don't think, um, but you've seen a million TVs, so you know it's a TV. Yeah, it's familiar. You're making a calculated mathematical decision that Mm -hmm. it is what it is. So that was the whole premise. and having that acquisition come into BlackBerry really just formulated that unified strategy. So instead of just offering the communications and the application management and the secure productivity, now you can ensure the integrity of the device while you're also working. Um, and that's really the company strategy moving forward is really focused on the endpoint because at the end of the day, the endpoint is now the network and even more so in COVID pandemic time because people working from anywhere exactly you know that that shift was already kind of happening um COVID sort of been the catalyst to the shift being more ubiquitous yeah and I mean it's a funny kind of joke that goes around the industry is what what drove your digital transformation and there's a little tick box that says COVID-19 right so you've probably seen that I'd like to just go back a step so when we started talking about like BlackBerry there were handsets and you say that is it sparks curiosity yeah would you say because of that curiosity, you have an advantage over other vendors because we're like, hey, I haven't heard of you guys since like the handsets. Would you say that that's the case because people haven't heard of you and they're curious as to, oh, well, now you guys are in the security market? Yeah, yes and no. Um, yes, in a sense of if if people were relatively familiar with BlackBerry at one point in time because they, most people when you talk to, talk to them about the BlackBerry phone, actually really loved it like they have a very affectionate feeling about the handset itself because it was like you world change you were like wow i can do all this stuff on my phone and you know today you today you'd be like yeah that's a kind of crappy old phone but at the point in time it was like an amazing experience so i think most people who had that experience have a have a fairly warm affection for the brand and the company so they're naturally going to be curious i don't know if it gives us as a as an advantage but it allows us to probably have a conversation maybe a little bit easier than mm-hmm. potential competitors but on the other side if you didn't really have much experience with blackberry at that point in time you would you would kind of automatically think well why am i going to talk to blackberry to have a security conversation if i don't really understand what the company was about so mm. it, it can go either way mm-hmm. um but i think for the most part there's that general level of curiosity as to yeah i remember that what's going on now with the company yeah that was i guess that was part of my reasoning for asking you Mm. that question and i think that um just more so like how do you think that you manage uh that transition in terms of like you were saying that they were talking about hardware now they're sort of software and, and that um moving into that security space did you sort of find resistance as you guys weren't really a known commodity for doing that yeah, I mean, in, in transparency, my experience with BlackBerry has been since the silence acquisition, right? So I can't... Because you're working for silence. Exactly, yeah. So I can't speak too much before that, but I can certainly speak since. And I think since the silence acquisition and branding acquisition was a massive plus for, for BlackBerry because 
if you're in the security industry, you you pretty much had heard of Silence, right? Because just crazy explosive growth, very successful, hot startup, yeah. innovative, you know, like CrowdStrike and a few other companies in that similar space. People know who they are. Sure. Um, so that probably elevated the BlackBerry brand significantly in that traditional cyber conversation. Like BlackBerry's already had a security backbone, but security and cyber are, are two different things in a sense. Like you can have security from a collab perspective, you can have cyber from a threat management perspective. So I think mm-hmm. that acquisition was really good for BlackBerry for the branding perspective. I think since then, the the I guess the experience... I haven't had a negative experience is where I'm getting to. It's always been a curious experience. It's always been a tell us a bit about why this direction is happening. We're really interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I s- certainly think from the cyber perspective, having the silence conversation was a pretty easy, common conversation we would have because everybody wants to talk about AI and machine learning. It's, it's the buzzword. It's the sexy thing. It's interesting. It's adding a lot of value. When you bring in all of the traditional BlackBerry capability, people are just like, wow, I didn't even really realise that existed. Um, and that's a really powerful position to have because you extend you know, your, your platform and capability with customers. So the other really cool part is the automotive, um, which, look, unfortunately we don't have manufacturing in Australia anymore, um, but it's a really cool ecosystem thought for people to understand, well... How does BlackBerry play in that wider IoT space or ecosystem? Just recently, I think it was yesterday or the day before, BlackBerry released um, a partnership with AWS, which is basically about building the OS for autonomous vehicles or for infotainment systems where, you know, applications store like a like a Apple store but for for uh, cars, essentially. So thinking about it from that perspective, you've got the device-level security and then you've got the infrastructure-level security of providing secure IoT devices. So you know, the long-term vision of the company will be continue to collapse all of those and just create a secure ecosystem. Um, but there's a lot of different interesting things that I think spark curiosity for sure. One of the things I'd sort of like to ask you about is you mentioned BlackBerry has a different approach towards AI and machine learning. So... Mm. I asked this because I think there was even a study done that all these vendors saying they do AI and they've got machine learning and in fact they didn't do that at all yeah. in terms of capability. So I'd like to really understand like what this looks like because I'm curious to see how you approach being different and how companies should be approaching this. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's a really broad <laughs> can be a really broad topic. I think the, there's a couple of ways to think about it. Firstly, you know, machine learning concepts have really been defined by DARPA, so the Defence and Aeronautical or Air Force Research Organisation, basically a US government organisation, and they define it in sort of six waves of machine learning capability. Um, you know, machine learning is a subset of AI, right? We don't really have true AI in the world yet today. I think we will eventually, but true AI would be, you know, I'm a robot and you're sitting here having this conversation with me as I am today, right? Being able to be cognitive and literally have feelings and emotions and be able to adapt. That is not what we do, right? That's not what anybody does. But it's a sexy thing to put on the brochure and slap it out there with some marketing and say that it's AI. Um, Do you think people are still... I I mean, my experience of people saying, oh, AI and machine learning, I feel that there's sort of almost like everyone saying it, so there's like a deterrent towards like, oh, you know, you're like the other... 55,000 vendors that say that AI and machine learning. Only because when these buzzwords come out, it seems like everyone then uses it and it almost does a disservice then for the people who are actually doing it. Would you say that that's the case for you guys? Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's current even in today, like the latest craze is Secure Access Service Edge and CASB Technologies and all those sorts of things, right? People jump on the bandwagon of momentum. I think, you know, Gartner does their hype cycles and things to show you how that trend goes. I think it was really interesting. I mean, from a silence perspective, you know, there's over... 80 patents in the field of machine learning for cybersecurity, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a level of authority that comes from the company who really created the technology. Mm -hmm. Um, People will say that machine learning and cyber has existed for 20, 30 years. That is also true, Mm -hmm. right? But using 
rule-based systems to drive efficiencies right. is not what we do, right? So that's really just process automation. Mm-hmm. We use machine learning to make decisions, complex mathematical decisions. So it's a really big difference. So much so that I remember like Silence first come to market in 2015, 2016, very early days. People would laugh at it because they're like, that's never going to work. Like, how is that ever going to work? Mm-hmm. So you kind of go through that. Why do you think they thought that? Were they afraid perhaps by the outcome of silence? Yeah, I think so, right? They just... And that's a human behavioural thing because, you know, humans want to be in control. They want to be able to explain and decide... And, and they felt like they lost They control. felt like they were losing a bit of the control and the decision-making process, right? When the reality is we are always going to be less effective at making decisions in comparison to a computer because, you know, we're emotive, we get upset, we drink too many beers, we're hungover, whatever it may be, right? Yeah. Like yeah. the reality is that's how we are as humans. But to process the amount of information that machines can do every human being, but then it also comes down to the fact that why would a human being be processing large amounts of data than anyway. Like, it seems like an ineffective way of a human being's... Totally ineffective. Totally ineffective, right? And, so, like, even to the level of, you know, why should a human be administering an endpoint protection solution? Like, why should you be pushing and checking policies or scanning devices or updating mm-hmm. signatures? They're mundane tasks, yeah. right? Like, they're meaningless. You should be doing things like threat hunting or, you know, building threat management or vulnerability management programs or doing things like patching, which never gets done because nobody has any time, right? Um, We still can't get that right after like 20 years. Right, exactly. But it's a pretty arduous task. Um, So I guess on that ML space, it was like, you know, first people ridicule it because they don't trust it and believe it and think it's a bit of marketing fluff. Then people try to imitate or say that it's been happening for a long time which is what we saw in the av industry um so say yeah we've been doing this for 20 years okay well if you've been doing it for 20 years why are breaches continuing to occur every five minutes um so they kind of jump on that bandwagon and then the third phase is active and this is the best phase because this is when the security industry improves active development to compete Right. right. So the traditional guys start to develop some capability. There's other next gen technologies out there who traditional also. Would you mean sort of the bigger players? You would think, yeah, like a you know a traditional AV vendor like a Symantec or a McAfee, sure. right? And it's not to say that they're bad companies. They're definitely not bad companies. They just existed at a time and place, and they developed technology for that time and place, right? So they've had to, they've been disrupted and had to innovate. And that all happened to Silence and BlackBerry. It's just the nature of the way tech industry works. So, you know, it took them a little while to get there. They're starting to do some things. I wouldn't say they're doing the same level of capability, but they're certainly improved, which is good for the industry. Like, you want the competition to continue to get better and better and better because at the end of the day, then we all become more secure as a society. Um, But what you sort of see (coughs) is different. Now it's really different approaches when it comes to machine learning. There's the approach of prediction, mm-hmm. right, which is primarily where we focus. We, we do do behavioural modelling as well, but the primary mechanism that we're really focused on is static prediction. So being able to make an autonomous decision without threat impact. Whereas on the other side, it's more of a behavioural situation where it's like, okay, well, we can detect, we can detect yeah. some anomalies. Correct. We're going to try and correlate as much information and then make... stage is too late. Potentially, right? Mm. That's that's also got value. Detect and respond is definitely valuable. You need to have that. Of course. We just believe it shouldn't be the primary mechanism. Well, it's about going beyond that, which is now we do. Because if you can get to a level of true prevention, it'll never be 100% effective. But let's just, for argument's sake, say it's 95, right? Like we won't even go to 99.9. We'll just say 95. Right then you're only detecting responding to 5%. And you can actually achieve that because if we're doing 95% prevention with machine learning, you're not doing signature updates, you're not scanning, you're not checking policies, you're not worried about agents going AWOL because I haven't talked back to the console and a whole bunch of other stuff. The 5% is handled by the actual threat hunting capability that most organisations are trying to implement. If you flip that around and you say 95% detect and respond, 5% prevent, 
you need an army of people, yeah. right? Um, which, look, you know, big corporates sometimes have that and that's okay and that's how they want to work in that operating model but that's the elite of the elite. That's 1% of the world really has the resources to do that. So, Would you still say that most people are sitting in that 95% though? Are they just so busy trying to get their head above the water? They're not even thinking past detect and respond to, oh, we're going to start predicting stuff. I still feel like a lot of people are still... Uh, trying to wrap their head around like basic asset management let alone predictive yeah I mean and you should always start there like you, you can't protect what you don't know about. If you don't know the devices, you don't know what apps you have, you don't know what data you're trying to protect. Of course. You don't, want, you don't know what you're vulnerable to, you can't really protect it. But the reality is we also, I feel, we use that as an excuse to just keep the same same kind of normal process going, right? Like Why we, do you think that, though? Do you think it's because people are afraid that, uh, as you said before, these old traditional AV players, like the way they've always done it, now they've got players like BlackBerry that are coming in that is disrupting them. Do you mm. think that people are just are scared of moving into this new way of operating and they don't know that because it's like uncharted waters for these guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a vendor conversation. It's more of a, a customer conversation. I think there's... There's probably two things. There's a level of, uh, I guess, internal security is a really interesting space, I think, from a sales engagement perspective where there's always a level of pride in the selection of a vendor by, you know, a CISA or a CIO or security manager or whatever. Like, they really, really build close relationships because security is all about trust, right? You need to be able to call on someone when you really need them, when the house is on fire, I need you to come and help me. So security relationships become really strong and really in, in, entrenched and can for many, many years, right? Which can be a difficult barrier to overcome, especially in a very large organisation where the tech becomes really entrenched. Change, you know, change can be really difficult to do. So yes. there's that perception piece. I think the second part also is the cultural aspect of okay well if i do this and we reduce some of those tasks or admin pieces does that mean i lose my job correct what am i going to do like what what is the team doing this for my whole life yeah this is what i've been trained as a security analyst um and i guess what we're trying to do is redefine that role Mm -hmm. you're not an admin you're a threat hunter yes which is what you should be aspiring to do because who wants to come to work and just do admin <laughs> like be awfully boring um, I'd want to come to work and reverse engineer malware and put stuff in sandboxes and you know query devices for IOCs and you know do all that really fun stuff which is the perception of the security industry of mm-hmm. being in the basement with a hoodie on and looking at code and really cool stuff um, but yeah. that doesn't really happen that much there are elite teams that do that but the vast majority of people end up just doing security and policy administration rather than than threat management so going just back on the vendor side of it in terms of these big these big players would mm. you say that they are perhaps threatened by upcoming companies or like even when you're working for silence do you think they felt threatened that oh we need to start competing yet would you say that that's a fair assumption yeah totally um i think that's natural though right uh, you know as I, as I sort of said competition is super healthy innovation is super healthy somebody will do it to silence and blackberry um those you know other companies who have survived a, a notable one has pretty much disappeared like semantics pretty much gone now through the broadcom acquisition and that writing was probably on the wall for them for a little while Mm -hmm. um yeah they're still around doing some things with their big customers but they're really just focused on their top sort of thousand global customers now not really focused on which is almost no one in australia to be honest yes um which is sad right because they were such a pioneer of the industry and drove a lot of the early innovation and security and i know a lot of great people that have worked there over Mm -hmm. the years Mm -hmm. um and to see that go is a little bit sad i think for the general industry but it's that's just the speed of innovation and new companies coming in Mm -hmm. and you've seen other companies like McAfee and other ones innovate and look at other capabilities in cloud technologies and workload security and a bunch of other stuff. Um, The challenge for those companies, I I think, is 
the architectural foundation, when you build a technology in the 80s and 90s versus mm. building a technology in mm. 2010, mm. very different. Like cloud, cloud wasn't even a thing back then. No. You know, uh, EC2 workloads and things in Amazon wasn't a thing back then. Wasn't, yeah. Right? So yeah. having that true SaaS, mm-hmm. flexible, cloud-delivered, like on-in-seconds yeah. model just wasn't a thing. So mm-hmm. to completely pivot architecture is a really difficult thing. Mm-hmm. So what you find with those traditional guys is instead of foundationally building the solution, you, you add it. You add it on. Right, so you're adding more features to the mm-hmm. to the solution, which creates what we call in the industry bloatware. Mm-hmm. So you end up with an agent on the device mm-hmm. that consumes 600 meg of RAM, mm-hmm. crunches the computer when it's doing a scan. You can talk to most people in the industry; they're like, "Yeah, if I'm doing an AV scan, I'm going to go to lunch because it's right. going to be <laughs> horrible. Right? Yeah. It's going to take forever." Yeah. And it's that foundation, foundational architecture of the way the solution's built. Back then, security was really about indexing. Mm-hmm. So it was about, you know, check and query. Mm-hmm. Got this file, got this IOC website, whatever, I'm going to ch- you know, send a query to a database and I'm going to check it, which is not, how, not what computers are designed to do. Mm-hmm. Computers are designed to do complex mathematical problems. Mm-hmm. So when you fast forward to today mm-hmm. with companies like Silence and BlackBerry and other, a couple of other companies in the market, the foundation is built on math, right. mathematical algorithms. So you apply that with all the power of cloud and compute speed and you know, flexibility and <clears throat> not having to set up data centers just to implement security technologies, mm-hmm. plus having that machine learning mathematical backbone in the actual agent itself it's lightweight, it works, it's predictive, it's quiet, you don't even know it's there, it just does its job. So it's a totally different proposition. In your experience, you spoke about before, it's, it's inevitable of this world that we live in that you guys are probably going to start getting disrupted by the next player. How, how do you think a company should sort of stay ahead of that? Will it just be through acquisition? In terms of, well, these guys are doing something really interesting, we might as well just acquire them, just to stay ahead because things can change daily and yeah. people who are at the top of their game because it's 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 well and good to say oh we're number one yeah but you have to sustain that level which i think is very very hard in what we all do today because there could be some up-and-coming little guy that just sort of takes the cake yeah and that's the fun part about tech right there's always someone yeah um and i love that like it's great and i think the companies who do it really well have a great mix like you have to have really solid investment in your own R&D, right? Like you can't just live off acquisition because, you you know, trying to integrate products from all different things can become a nightmare and messy. So you have to have a really strong foundation of innovation and R&D. In BlackBerry, for example, we have this thing called BlackBerry Labs, which is basically R&D innovation. A hub for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like 300 data scientists and a whole bunch of other smart people who are way smarter than me. But they basically sit there and think about, well, what's the next, what's the next big thing, right, in the field of AI, machine learning, security, automobile, whatever it may be, right? What's so the they, next big thing. I think true AI, properly, right. right? Like, I mean, it's easy to say because we're already sort of on the journey, but the reality is if we can move from what we have today, which is machine learning, mm. um, to true cognitive decision-making explainability and AI, it will continue to just change the game of everything that we do. We really want to get to a point where the device protects itself without human intervention. Do you think that freaks people out, though? Just when you totally, that? yeah. To- it's back to that control piece. That? It's that control, right? Yeah. You know, of course. We've want- been doing this for 40 years. What are we going to do now? <laughs> exactly. You want the level of control. I think I think it just comes down to how to, rather than how do we handle this, how do we adapt at the same time? Because this is going to happen whether we like it or not. So it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter if you're emotive about it. You need to you need to think, okay, well, how do I make the most of this situation? Sure. So you'll see, again, talking about today's world, a lot of security roles are primarily admin mm-hmm. kind of roles or policy roles, very important as well. But those technical admin roles will probably dissipate. Correct. And we'll actually have better skills. Yes. Right, which I think is a 
great place to be in. Why wouldn't you want a system to do all the boring stuff and and we get to do the fun stuff? Correct. I don't think anyone thinks like that, though. They don't because they're so used to doing what they've been doing. People like like I like consistency I have my little routine you wake up go to the gym get your coffee come to work do this do that you know you can predict what your day and life's going to be like yeah. and it's not going to be turned upside down and you know we'll be you know working on a spaceship or whatever it may yeah, be but cool, yeah. that would be pretty cool I'd probably do it but the reality is Work maybe today and in five years' time as a security analyst might be completely different. Yeah. I hope it is yeah. because, I, you know, while a lot of those roles will be fulfilling, I think there'd be a lot of this is pretty boring. It's not really what I thought it was going to be. And hopefully that, that changes with tech. Jason, don't you think of people... So I agree with your level of thinking, but a lot of people don't think about well, if we don't evolve, uh, we're probably doing better disservice to the security industry. So how, yeah. But to me, it feels so jarring in the sense that we're here to secure organisations and individuals, but yet we don't want to disrupt the thing that we do when the whole reason we're in that job is to secure. Yeah. And uh, secure these organisations and companies. So for me, it sort of feels like we're doing that a disservice because we're so afraid that our job will become redundant, obsolete, and our skills will then atrophy. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a, there's like a saying, you know, data is king, data is power, and it's the same in security. Like we want to see more, hear more, to do more, yeah. because it makes us empowered and makes us feel like we're doing things. But the problem is we're losing. Right. We're nowhere near winning. Right. right. We're not even close. Sure. And I don't, like, that's a personal opinion, but all you have to do is open the news and you can see that we're not winning, right? Every day there is this hospital, that hospital, this retailer, that logistics company. It's never-ending. So we're we're nowhere near winning the battle. Mm. And it's because we're so reactive. Mm. And it's because we're so manual. Correct. So I think as soon as people can grasp that as this is going to help us get to a winning position mentally I think people will be able to adapt to be a bit more comfortable with it it's not about you know silence is not going to replace your job Microsoft is not going to replace your job it's just going to give you a different role a different type of role or enhance your role where you're not doing admin you're doing other stuff threat management right so that's what it's really all about is increasing enhancement in skills rather than doing basic skills right now basic security hygiene 100% important not many organizations even do that well today but that's also a systemic problem of being in this Mm whack-a-mole firefighter mode because how do you have time to do all that when you're constantly putting the fire out right so something's got to change and the adversary is not going to wait for us to make no, that decision. Yeah. They're like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. A, it's so easy to bypass you. Yeah. B, you're too busy to even know what, what I'm doing. On. And then <laughs> I've got your data and I'm gone anyway. So, Do you think we'll get to a stage where people are out of this uh, firefighting whack-a-mole sort of game? Or do you think that we're still a while away from that stage? Just in your experience. Yeah, I mean... I th- like, don't get me wrong. It's like that might have sounded a little bit <laughs> negative towards our industry. I think everybody wants to get to a nirvana of, yeah, we feel a bit more comfortable and we're on top of things. Mm. Um, you know, no one really wants to be in that whack-a-mole situation, no, right? It's like, tiring and draining. Exactly, and also like, especially if you're in critical industries, it could be very, very stressful. Like I've seen some really stressful environments in health and things where it's just not been a good situation, not even just for the security team but for general citizens. So I don't think anyone really wants to be there. I think as an, as an, as an industry, like, I feel like there's, a, there's still the hesitation mm. and I think the hesitation... I think it's two things. I think there's part of it is the cultural aspect of the job thing that we talked about. Mm. But then I think the second part is literally the overwhelming FUD Mm. that comes from the vendor community about the threat landscape aligned to things like machine learning and AI and 
everything else that people become a little bit numb to it and they're like i don't i just don't want to listen to you anymore right um so so all of the goodness because there's a lot of good information that comes out from some of the you know these innovative companies but a lot of the goodness gets lost in the fact that it's another sexy brochure that says machine learning and AI or some other buzzword. Yes. And people start to glaze over it a little bit because they're just so overwhelmed with all that information. I don't know what the answer is to, to, to fix that. Um, in terms of navigating? In terms of navigating through the FUD, I mean, you know, one of the things I'd really love to see in our industry is we actually have proper standards for evaluation and technology like we have the analyst firms like Gartner and Forrester and and they do some great research and reporting and things like that but the reality is like all of these things are opinions it's what does one person think this should look like or it should do this thing or should have this feature Um, but there's no you know like you buy a car and you get an Amstar safety rating of 2.5 or 3.5 or whatever yes. you have to have these things right there's you no want it to sell than a vehicle exactly and then as a consumer you can look at it and say okay well that one's got a five star this one's got a four star this is the difference I want the four star because it's 10 grand cheaper and I'm comfortable with that or I want the five star because it's this mm. There's not really any of that in the security industry across the board. Um, So there's not really any true quality assurance. So Mm. the only way to really ascertain that is to test for yourself, which we would always advocate anyway, right? We'd be like, yeah, go and break it as much as you can because then you know how far it can go and can't go. The challenge is not all organisations can do that, Mm. right? So then it comes down to, well, how many good analyst reports do you have that someone's opinion or you know how many paid testing programs have you been through that you've probably gained the results anyway right it just becomes this back and forth debate about which report means more than the other when the reality is they both probably don't mean anything right because internal organization is very different to another one so i think if we can come up with a like a, a buyer's framework somehow, and I don't know who the responsibility should lay with to decide what that looks like, mm. but a truly agnostic technical and business framework for deciding, you know, how the solutions fit and play. Um, there's a lot of things like Gartner peer reviews and things like that where customers put their own feedback and things on which are really important mm. but again at the end of the day everybody's got different goals so it's really difficult to to different, rank different that maturity stages, different yeah exactly like you know i'd love to say silence is great for every single customer but it's not mm. because it could be too much for somebody they don't have the skills to really t- you know take the full power of that product and Absolutely. make the most of it where others will right it's just varying on differences but Again, if we had that level of maturity framework in assessment, that might actually help people move faster Mm. towards this model of more autonomous solutions being implemented in in the market. And whether it's, you know, Silence, BlackBerry, Microsoft, CrowdStrike, whoever it is, Mm. it would be good for the industry in general. Um, to do that so I don't know if you know someone would be great for someone to come up with something but I think Mm. that would be really good I I, I found really interesting just what you were saying and I think that from what I sort of see personally is that people just feel incredibly overwhelmed you've got 50 bazillion vendors knocking on their doors like yes we're AI machine learning and all that so it's really about how to cut through that but I think giving the power back in the client's hands to go and do their own reconnaissance work their own research get their own team to um, deploy a a POC and test it out for themselves and then say hey this is exactly what we need and I think that uh, I guess even you coming on this podcast is trying to again we're trying to give people real answers to their questions yeah uh and i think if people become perhaps a little bit more honest in what they do and can convey that in ways that people would become more trusting of those vendors and those uh, integrators yeah and I, I mean ethics in it and security is a massive topic like i find it fascinating um and something that we really you know with my team we really embrace like strongly mm. is 
total total honesty because the worst thing you can do, like you know, lie about something to get a deal, but then two weeks later that company is massively impacted because you it's sold them a fallacy. It's really short-sighted. And also, like, I don't know, my core belief is I just couldn't do that to somebody. <laughs> like, personally, I would feel horrible about of that because yeah. you just put, the, put that person in an extremely vulnerable position and who am I to do that? But the reality is that happens all the time in, in this industry because everybody is so motivated by money, yeah. dollars. So mm. doing the right thing... Uh, sometimes just gets thrown way out the window. And I think for us, which is why we have a really you know, great ecosystem of customers and partners and people that we work with and, and I feel like we have a really trusting business here, um, I will often sit in front of at some of our customers and they'll ask me about something and I'll say, look, I, c- I can't help you with that, but here's a suggestion or, or an idea. You know, trying to fit a... You know, round peg through a square hole kind of thing it's just not the right way to go about it so mm-hmm. I think again there's some responsibility on the vendor side to be able to be honest and transparent and s- salespeople are not necessarily comfortable with that because maybe their job depends on them, getting, depends sales. On them getting sales Correct. right? and they're under so much pressure to, to meet targets and hit revenue targets whatever it may be but the reality is maybe you lose a deal because you're honest I guarantee you you'll win 10 more after that. Absolutely. Because that person will say when a person asks for a reference, yeah, I remember uh, Chris or I remember Jason, really honest, really enjoyed the engagement. It wasn't quite right for us, but if they had a product that was right, I would definitely work with them. Correct. It's about being honest. So would you say in terms of your viewpoints of the industry moving forward, probably due to this 2020 year, what is some of your your sort of beliefs that will happen in the future now that we are sort of traversing into this new world and this new way of operating? Like, what do you sort of see? Yeah. Uh, I didn't think 2020 would be a pandemic year, so I I don't know what 2021 is going to be like. But um, I I just think... I mean, we're very resilient species as humans, right? Like, you know, we get knocked down, we pick ourselves back up and we find a way to be successful again. That's why the human race is the dominant race on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the comet helped with the dinosaurs or whatever, but, you know, we've evolved since then. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for us, like, A, the, the notion of physical workspaces naturally have changed they were changing anyway um i think the ability to and this is also a potential challenge is like where do we draw the line between physical work and emotional work and personal life and emotionally personal life Mm -hmm. because you know probably similar to you but like for me it's sometimes really difficult to turn off Mm. because you've work is in your pocket all the time and it's always buzzing and dinging and there's an email coming in at 11 o'clock at night and yeah. you know that you shouldn't check it be like oh, yeah. I'll just quickly have a look like it yeah. might be important and that's exacerbated now because mm. you know I know we're in the office today but four days a week I'm at home mm. where I also sleep Correct. where my dog is yeah, yeah. where my life is Correct. you know where I sit down and watch mysteries and tv and then i turn around and then that's my desk Mm. so it it becomes a really hazy environment of how do you separate yourself and i think that's going to be a real challenge for people um like accurate boundaries yeah right um and also from a from an interaction perspective there's a huge yeah yeah that as well right because you know what it's like like zoom fatigue and being on video Mm. calls i'm so exhausted like i would totally do eight back-to-back meetings throughout the day because you go for a coffee or you go like face to face you go for coffee go for a walk go for a beer after work go for lunch whatever it may be like you're having kind of physical stimulation at the same time yeah you sit on a Zoom call or a WebEx and it's like the life is draining from my eyeballs every single time right. I'm on the yes, WebEx, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially by the end of a long day. Um, uh, and I don't think I'll be alone in that. I think most people would feel the same. So I think having that delineation and boundary of how do you operate is going to be interesting from a human perspective. From a security perspective, you know, we kind of slapped a Band-Aid on it straight away and 
threw out VPNs and, you know, set up more virtual infrastructure and a bunch of other stuff. Mm. Now we're looking at, well, how do we optimize that? Is that really the best situation to have mm. everyone remoting in to the corporate network? And then the conversation is, well, do we really need everything in the data center? Can we just put it in the cloud? Correct. So we're kind of accelerating that digital transformation aspect of how do we do work. Um, but also there's a huge encouragement for things like, you know, tablets and iPads and phones and personal devices. Mm. Again, where do those boundaries kind of fit? So there'll be an interesting challenge for employers who are enabling work-life flexibility mm. people don't really if they don't feel so safe coming to the office yet even though we're in a pretty good state here with with coronavirus or they've had to change their life with their kids or families and they need to be at home more enabling that but also enabling them to still disconnect is going to be really interesting to see um, from a security perspective you know, work from home is a totally different beast in comparison to work from office. When you're in the office, you've got 50 firewalls and proxies and mm -hmm. monitoring and all these other tools and technologies that are constantly checking and dinging and buzzing and whatever else. Mm. A lot of companies have been able to pivot with that and, you know, mm -hmm. put in cloud technologies and a bunch of other stuff for personal devices, but a lot haven't. So a lot of them are just direct to internet, might have an antivirus on that, uh, PC or, or or tablet or whatever it may be. Um, there's not really any data controls. There's not really any access controls. So having that data centre-centric security model where we put the walls up and don't let anyone in yeah. to bringing the walls down and having a risk management approach yeah. is a huge change. And I think that's where, you know, things like, what we do from an endpoint security perspective with cloud technologies and adoption of that has been great through through this period because it's not dependent on the data center it literally goes agent on the device and off we go so taking that concept of every device is now the new perimeter is really the, the frontier of security which is why you're seeing you know the emergence of secure access service edge and those kind of new capabilities with routing traffic direct from from device um so probably the three things, like the people, people like personal approach, mm. it's that separation and boundary and how do employers facilitate that mm -hmm. with their staff. Mm. Um, because, you know, I think everybody is just waiting for this year to be over because you're really burnt out, right? You, you yes. just want to decompress and rest. Yes. And then the third aspect is how do you adapt to the security aspects of not being in the corporate office? Mm -hmm. um, which I think we're in a pretty good position for here at, at BlackBerry with what we do. So it'll benefit some and not benefit others. But again, this Be is honest. the being honest <laughs> and also the innovation and disruption cycle. Like mm. it will be pretty interesting to see what new technologies pop up over the next 12 months because mm. of the pandemic and how we now operate. Okay. I don't know what will, but we'll, well I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> So, Jason, I've absolutely loved our chat today. Thank you so much for being honest, uh, going into detail about what BlackBerry does. If people have any questions for you that perhaps I didn't ask, how can they go about finding you? Yeah, um, so I'm on LinkedIn, so mm -hmm. Jason Durden. Feel free to stalk me and, and add me. I'm mm -hmm. pretty available. Um, go to blackberry.com, have a look at our products and, and services. Um, we're pretty frequent on, you know, uh, like all the kind of marketing aspects of Gartner and Forrester and a bunch of other things. But give us a call, talk to us. You know, if you want to learn a bit more, we're more than happy to, to tell our story and, and do the song and the song and dance. Hey, move away from the handsets. Yes. Well, hopefully, I mean, I think the goal is we get to a point where we don't even have to have that conversation. But the reality is that's going to take a little bit of time. Thanks for tuning in to KB Cast, the cybersecurity podcast for executives. We always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time.